0: This is a question and answer session with Joel and Andrea, titled Identity and Difference, recorded February 27, 2000, at the Center for Sacred Sciences in Eugene, Oregon.
1: So, uh, it's just an open forum. Anybody has any question about anything? If we have something to say about it, we'll we'll address (laughs) it. If not, we'll tell you we don't know. (laughs) If you have a question, if you'd like one of us specifically to address it, please say who you're addressing the question to. If you don't care, we'll let Andrea go first.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If she doesn't know, you'll do it. eh? That's right.
1: And then she can tell me you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Okay,
2: this is for Andrea. Um, The other night, I was contemplating the light of my awareness, as it is associated with this whole body sense field, and I was feeling the light of my awareness. And my mind started to think about, how can someone else in another body be experiencing this light of awareness someplace other than here? And my mind got very boggled and confused, and I had to stop because I couldn't go anywhere with that, which made me think it was something important. So. my question is, what is the difference between you and me?
1: I'm glad Happy that was addressed <laughs> you.
3: As soon as you ask the question difference, you're positing that there's distinctions, that there's something objective or relative that we could point to and then make comparisons. Right? Mm-hmm. Who we are is the capability to do that endlessly. The play of that is constantly, infinitely going on.
2: Making that distinction.
3: Make billions and trillions and godzillions of distinctions are, are capable of being known in the light of our awareness. And that's who we are? We are the light of awareness in which Whatever you call objective, subjective, or beyond both is, is arising and dissolving. So how could, how could you and I posit which of those bazillions and trillions of infinite possibilities of arisings is more or less you or me? Where are we going to begin the line and where are we going to end the line?
2: Mm-hmm. See, my experience is that I'm here in this body, and that there's this light of awareness that's coming into this body.
3: But as soon as you say that my experience is that I'm here in this body, I have to say, is that your experience or is that your thought?
2: I think that's my experience. Yes.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And so the level of practice, the only level of practice that we could enter in terms of direct experience is to, for the time being, get so close in our awareness and our being, that every time a thought arises in awareness, we know that it's a thought.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: For the time being, we'll call it, make a distinction between thought and awareness. Thoughts arising in awareness. As soon as a thought arises in awareness, that becomes the filter whereby we're having an experience. Mm -hmm. If we then forget that, then we've assumed something and forgotten the assumption and dwell in a created
2: fantasy world
3: no matter how exquisitely subtle it might
2: be so what is the difference between you and me (laughs) (laughs) the words you
3: and me (laughs) what is the real difference between you and me absolutely nothing absolutely nothing And yet, because there's no difference between you and me, all difference and similarity can arise and dissolve infinitely. Anything our minds can possibly conceive of. Mm -hmm. And your conditioning and my conditioning may be very different. And in this play of, I mean, here we're both born on the same birthday, (laughs) Mm -hmm. not in the same year,
2: <laughs>
3: but I'm not the oldest person here. <laughs> There's somebody older than me. <laughs>
2: this body. <laughs> um,
3: oh yes, yeah, so that because of this, nothing, nothing but infinite luminous capacity to know everything. How else can I possibly know myself, but except by the difference between you and me? Meaning that how I experience you and how you experience me is we recognize our similarities in terms of our conditioning, our sensibilities, that we can share particular thoughts and experiences. And then the place where we do not recognize that becomes an area of potential discovery or reestablishment of um, I'm going to teach you something, you're going to teach me something. I want to learn something from you. I mean, it just goes on and on. I could go on for the next 20 years giving you all my ideas Mm -hmm. about what the game is about.
1: And she will, too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But there's no difference between you and me. Okay, when I was contemplating this the other night, what I, I was coming up against was the impossibility of there being more than one consciousness, I think, is what I was sensing that that was somehow impossible.
1: Let me ask you, so why don't you trust us?
2: Because I keep having this experience that I'm contained in this body, that I am this body that has a light shining in it.
1: Then I'm going to ask you a question. This body is made up of all sorts of sensations, right? Mm-hmm. Correct? So why don't you press your finger and thumb together? That's a sensation, a bodily sensation, right? right. Now, is consciousness in that sensation, or is that sensation in consciousness?
2: Sensation in consciousness. Right.
1: So isn't your whole body in consciousness, not consciousness in the body? <clears throat> so it's an idea you have that consciousness is in your body. Right. But if you go examine it empirically, you will never find any consciousness in the body, but you will find body arising in consciousness, arising and passing away in consciousness. So most of us think we are in our bodies.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's we the way think, we're taught. We think there think.
2: are other people in bodies.
1: Yes, we think there are other people in bodies, too. But if you examine <laughs> your own experience, you find, A, you never find any other consciousness. Uh, let's take a poll here. How many people have ever experienced more than one consciousness? Raise your hand. Oh, I like it. we think we do though wait a minute, let's see what our actual experience is see it's a universal experience there's only one consciousness nobody ever experienced any more than one consciousness yes, but we think we do but this is what I think part of what Andrea was getting at Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it's not that thoughts are wrong or that we shouldn't think this way or that way that's the play but if you want to get to the truth go beyond thought, at least for a time suspend thought Or just recognize that thought is just a thought. Okay, you think that way. So what? That thought arises and it goes away. And what's left? Whatever's left is who you are. Sensations arise and go away. Sounds arise and go away. All that stuff arises and goes away. But where does it come from and where does it go to? If you can find that, you have found who you are. Then that really... (coughs) In a nutshell, is what the practice of inquiry is really all about, no matter how you go about it. But just coming to discover what is always present,
4: mm-hmm.
1: what never arises, never passes away, never is born, never dies, always present in, quote, your experience. <clears throat> that is who you truly are.
3: And to honor, in, quote, your experience, whatever arises and dissolves, then if we live in the one-tastedness of our true identity, being the capacity for anything to arise and dissolve, if we can equally allow the play of all experience, then absolutely everything arising and dissolving is a jewel or perfection of expression of of your being. Mm -hmm. Which means, if I don't have to say this thought is correct and this thought isn't, Or I don't have to say, this feeling is good, this feeling is bad. If I don't have to come to any conclusions, because I accept the truth that awareness can simply abide in the free, open, spacious being, revealing everything that it is. And there doesn't have to be any conclusion. Which means, then you're free to have any experience. And awareness is not obstructed Your attention is not obstructed. Your sense of self is not obstructed by any phenomena. So how can we acknowledge the relative world and the absolute world? We can't deny that things are appearing. But as soon as we want to place conclusive identity or judgment upon what's appearing, then we are lost in the thought. then we have taken that thought and then we're filtering our experience. So to honor the relative and the absolute, or to honor who we really are, it's to allow the play and display and not conclude anything about it. That's why Joel and I are always saying, to be
2: fully ignorant, to be fully consciously ignorant, is to to be awake. I'm trying to figure this out, and my mind is getting (laughs) (laughs) tangled with it, because I'm trying to figure out how we could all be one... And
1: your mind, we, your mind can't figure no it out.
2: There's no way. To be
3: your mind can't figure it out. But, but that your
1: mind can't. Well, see, you yourself said when you asked the question, "I was trying to figure this out, and I got to this place where I couldn't yeah. go anymore with my thoughts." That's good. So why don't you trust that? You can't figure it out. but, but I don't
2: it, want to back <laughs> off and hide from it because hide from what? Realization. You're having a thought about
3: realization, right there. Let's inquire right there. What do you think? Think, 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 think. Think, 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 think. Can awareness simply offer up the six million thoughts in that one sentence and leave your heart wide open? That's who you are, Mary Song. That's not backing off from anything. And that's who you are. That's who we all are. Pure awareness.
1: Who else wants to get in on this discussion before we go to another question?
5: I'm a little confused. (laughs) I'm speaking for anybody else here. When Mary Song pressed her fingers together and presumably had a sensation, how come I didn't feel it when she pressed her (laughs) fingers together when we all have the same consciousness? It's the localization of experience that confuses me.
3: As soon as you posit local, you have to posit non-local. So what are you confused about?
5: What you just said. <laughs> 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 <Okay>. <laughs> I know we're stuck in our
3: minds. We have right? the idea of local points, perspectives in space, things Correct. to see, right? Correct. And then we have physical space that there are distinctions. We have that in our minds. We can like remember. Exactly. We have all these things that happen because we can posit perspective in space, right?
5: Um, Yeah. When you say we can posit perspective in space, I mean, that seems to be... If I
3: don't posit it, it's not there. We just keep positing it over and over and over and over again. These little thoughts jump out. Split second. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's a movie. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> so, if you want to know about your experience, you have to f- know about what you're thinking about it.
1: Let me ask you a question. Oh, here it goes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is a,
1: an approach to an answer. It's not an answer, but it's an approach. When you dream, are there other characters in your dream? Yeah. And do you see out of their eyes? Hmm. hmm. If one of those characters stubs their toe and says, ouch, do you feel the pain? Do you know what the other characters in your dream are thinking about?
5: Not usually.
1: Okay. So where is all this taking place? Are there really other people out there? Or is this all taking place as a movie in one consciousness?
5: I would.
1: Okay. So that's. A model for how you can start to understand this. Even though it seems in the dream like there are other people out there, they have their own thoughts, and you dialogue with them, you have a relationship with them. Right. Which, by the way, to say that they are just dream characters is not to diminish the importance of your relationship with people in dreams. Some of the most profound relationships in my life are relationships I have in dreams. But the truth is, there is only one consciousness. We recognize that in dream, when we wake up, or if we become lucid in the dream. But even though the appearance is, there are different people. Now, there are different forms in the dream. There are different appearances. You can distinguish in the dream one character from another, and so forth. But in the dream, we are deceived by what is going on because we think, oh, that's another person, and then we believe the thought. When we are lucid in a dream, we still think that's another person, but we're not deceived by that thought.
5: Well, the, my problem is I can understand it with the, <clears throat> the dream analogy where my thought process says, I've imagined that, but that's, a, that's illusory. And I can understand the perspective. I'm still stuck in the physical world where I don't believe that I'm imagining all of you.
1: You aren't. No you is imagining all of us. This is not solipsism. It's not like, oh, you, Mike, are imagining all this. Consciousness is imagining all this. And in that sense, I am that consciousness. We can all say that. That's not personal you. We have to be clear about, in language, there's this word I. So it has two reference. One is, who are you really? So we can use I to refer to the ultimate reality. When you discover that, you say, I am that, as the Hindus say. Or we recognize I as a relative useful word that is part of this play of distinctions and that refers to a certain place on the coordinate system, which we've set up, located over there, and that I can talk to them. That's fun. I'm, I like talking to you most of the time. <laughs> <laughs>
2: this isn't one of
1: those times.
2: <laughs>
1: so don't get confused about the referent of I when we talk about I am making all this up as though you personally were making all this up. God is making all this up.
5: Let's say I'm still stuck in this local experience. experience. No, you. Well. It, you know, I, I think I Examine
1: agree. it, though. See, instead of assuming I am stuck in this local experience, do what mary did. Really try to see what is going on here. When you say, I am stuck here. No, you, you've been taught to, to experience yourself this way, and you're stuck in that uh, conditioning. But that's just because you happen to be an American born... Whenever you were born, <laughs> you would have to give your age, in right? In the last century. In the last century, right? <laughs> in this culture, brought up in this culture, and so forth. I mean, if you were uh, born into an Eskimo culture, for instance, you would have a very different experience of who you were. You wouldn't be stuck in this physical reality. You would change into walruses and arctic foxes and be much more fluid, in some ways more interesting world.
5: It seems like such a vivid, real dream.
3: In yes. wow. well, dream your is. dreams,
1: they seem very vivid and real.
3: So, what Joe is just describing, though, is what, what is it What is it about the fluidity in which an Eskimo can have one experience, and uh, an aborigine from another country, another a Tibetan have one, an American, a, what What exactly is that? That that what is that fluidity?
5: Are you talking about general cultural experiences? Be-
3: You're saying you're stuck in the local da-da-da. You're saying that's your experience. An Eskimo is saying something else. A shaman is saying something else. What do you think that is?
5: I think they're individual people having different experiences from different habitual uh, uh, training.
3: Okay, but wait a second. That, which he just described, is a thought in our minds right here, right now. That's right. what I'm asking you. What do you think that thought in your mind right now is, where it's expressing? You could have a be an aborigine. You could be an Eskimo. You can be. A, to, to you could be. A...
5: Well, it's imaginary, in my view. Okay.
3: And what is it representing? What is it a symbol of? It's a symbol of the fluidity in awareness, where knowing an object, knowing an object, knowing an object, knowing an object reveals itself to be. And, and a very intricate and, and uh, constantly occurring event. You know that you could be an Eskimo somewhere. You read a book and you uh, read this experience and that experience. Now, you're not in all those bodies yet. All those thoughts of, quote-unquote, individual lives are being presented, are being, arising and dissolving in your awareness. Right. So you're knowing yourself in some sense. How is that any different from when you have awareness of your own thoughts and thoughts about your own life, or reading a book about someone else's life. In the moment you're experiencing that, what is the difference? It's kind of like asking the question, what's the difference between having a dream and being here now?
5: Diff- and I see, I, yeah, I, see the, I see the connection to some degree, but I have this mental construct that I've been this continuum from a little child, my experiences, my school, that I... I have, and I admit that at this point it's a military, Very, okay. but I believe it to be real, that there's been a me that's been growing up changing.
3: Okay, so can we back up? You have a mental construct. Yes. We can ad infinitum go with one mental construct in opposition or in dialectic relationship to another mental construct, and that could go on and on and on and on forever. And it is. <laughs> <laughs> But there is one thing that's one non thing that's extremely important in terms of the capacity to intuitively directly know, realization, prajna, whatever you want to call it, the spark of knowingness, the pure, clear brilliance of being. And that is the capacity to not grasp thought. You're saying, I am stuck. I am stuck in this mental concept. Fine, just be aware you're grasping that thought and practice renunciation.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> people said, Dr. Wolf once said, people think renunciation is not eating chocolate during Lent, <laughs> not eating meat on Friday, or giving this up, giving candy up, giving sex up, <laughs> True renunciation is being willing in every moment to clear your mind and give up every thought that arises in it. He also would describe that as intelligence. So there's nothing wrong with all these thoughts. I love to think, but all thinking has to occur in a field of awareness that's so free, open, infinite, and spacious, otherwise all the thought happening in it isn't being understood. That's my position.
1: <laughs> let me add one thing here about about this business of thought. Because I think what Andrea is pointing to is you're saying I am stuck in this reality. What you're not recognizing is that that itself is just another thought. And it's neither truer nor falser than, than any, any other, other thought, thought at the ultimate level. So let me give you an analogy. It's like walking around a gallery uh, that's hung with lots of paintings. And the paintings are all very different. And you walk around the gallery and you get fixated on one painting. You say, I believe this painting. And then you say, I'm stuck. I believe this painting. And the trick is to see that, yes, they're all different. Yes, they're all beautiful. uh, Maybe you have preferences. You like this one better than the other one. But the bottom line is they are all paintings. All paintings. That's the realization that unsticks you. Oh, my thinking, I'm stuck here in this physical reality, is just another thought. And at that level, it's just as equivalent to thinking, I am a unicorn. We in a relative world think people are crazy if someone says, I am a unicorn in this culture. And they say, I'm stuck in this reality where I am a unicorn. We think they're bizarre, bananas. We don't mind them thinking, oh, I imagine what would it be like to be a unicorn. That's fine. That lets us know that they know they're just imagining this, and it's fun. But when they insist that they truly are a unicorn, we get worried.
3: And that's why we're worried about you. (laughs)
5: Part of the problem is I think You're is hot
1: today. Is that? I think we define ourselves in reality. It's sort
5: of voting logic. When other people reflect it back and they have those views, we take it to be real. And I know I see cases where that falls apart. But in this room, there's, if I can, say, there's roughly thirty-six people who see life somewhat the way I do, and there's two that don't. So, you know, so it's breaking this
4: this pattern that we're confronted with.
3: breaking the pattern is one thing but I just need to continue along this line of practice every thought or every phenomena that arise in the awareness including the thought that there are two people in this room who think differently and everybody else in this room thinks the same well, okay, that's a thought and we could explore that how that's true or not true or more true or less true or how it could be true this way how it could be true that way da, 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 da But bottom line is that for any experience in your awareness to be known, you have to let it go and let it be. Every thought that arises arises in its own place in your awareness. The teaching comes, the knowledge comes, your own wisdom is saying to you, now look, who's creating your experience?" Now look, now look, now look, now look. Everything that arises, every thought, including the thought that we're all similar and I'm in this body and you're in that body and all these bodies, they all have to be seen equally as a thought. It doesn't mean as it arises you say, no, no, this thought is no good, I shouldn't be thinking this, this is delusion. Nor does it mean this thought is arising and oh, this is, this is where I'm stuck, this is it. You can allow all things to arise and all things to dissolve if you recognize there's a deeper level of awareness that is the ground of all this other stuff that's coming up. And it's very good that we read and have to think and do all that, but we have to have that being displayed in a ground where we intuit or rest or relax or open into a reality greater than ourselves or our thought so in a sense it's a kind of devotional aspect of offering everything up this is what it means to offer up every thought you have you say fine you let it go you offer it up to god to the infinite to being to your awakening to the awakening of all beings to the end of suffering whatever you want to offer it up to But the point is, it remains a fluid expression of reality. It doesn't become a fixated object in your awareness because then you're living in a box. You're living in the box of your thinking.
6: I had an experience once that I never really understood, but I'll relate it. I was standing in the filing cabinet, filing it doesn't take a lot of I think I fell asleep while I was doing, I was doing this. And I'm going to say I fell asleep because suddenly I was somebody else. I was like in China someplace and I was on this busy street. You know, it's like a dream. This busy street, I could smell these smells. I could hear all this cacophony of language and talk. And I was really there. It was very real. I was this Chinese woman in this hot, sweaty, smelly place. (laughs) And then I kind of woke up and... When I woke up, I didn't think, oh, that was just a dream. I really felt like I had transported into somebody else's life for a minute. And I never said, that isn't real. I just never really understood what it was. Well, But it fits it here somehow.
1: Yes, and I'm, I'm going to jump in here. Because when you say, I never understood what it was. Right. That We can take that in two ways. One, we can take that to mean, I don't have a worldview in which I can fit that in. And this is what we were talking about two Sundays ago, and last Sunday, when we were talking about synchronicity and how we could understand these strange, odd occurrences that come under the, the title of paranormal sorts of experience. And I gave a way that we could understand it. Tom talked about ways that we could understand it. That meaning of understanding is intellectual understanding. That means how can I fit what happened to me into a consistent logical picture of how the world works, into a paradigm or a worldview. We all need paradigms and worldviews. There's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing wrong with uh, trying to understand it that way. That is not the ultimate understanding. That is not understanding that is the, is the meaning of the word when we talk about gnosis or enlightenment or realization. Because that level of understanding is understanding not how one set of phenomena fits in with another set of phenomena in a structure, but the essence of all phenomena, whatever is arising. As the Buddhists say, the single taste of all phenomena. All phenomena has the same taste. Just the way when you walk into a gallery, there are different pictures, but they are all pictures. That's their single taste. They might be wildly different. They might be, you might have a gallery full of art that comes from all over the world. and art from different periods. Medieval art, modern art, Impressionist art. You know what I mean? But they are all still just paintings. There's
6: no difference then between me understanding me the way I am, that experience, or a dream that I wake up.
1: From the ultimate point of view, that's true. They're all all the same. It's all the same. (laughs) And as usual, the real question Uh, Or let me put it this way. The most immediate question to ask is really not how does this fit in to some bigger picture. Though that's an interesting question. And a question that is worth working on if you know what you're doing. But the immediate question is, what does this mean for me in my life now? So it might be a heart connection. It might mean you see what you're experiencing here in, your, in front of your filing cabinet, maybe you're bored with your life and so forth, and suddenly we're going to show you a different life you wouldn't be bored with, but you might not want to change places with. But do you see what I mean? I, I'm just, I don't know if that's else. true of you.
3: Right, but be, you got to be careful not to want ju- to wanna jump in and say, what does this mean? And then jump to any conclusions about what it means. When you ask, what does this mean? You have to allow yourself to just... To let it reveal itself to you, not by jumping to a conclusion about what it means.
1: Intuitively, thank you. That's what I'm talking about here. So here is the meaning is coming to you intuitively. And the spiritual meaning will always be a meaning of love and compassion in one way or another. That's what it's leading you to or revealing to you.
3: And it doesn't have to be answered in a period of time. That's a condition. That's a mind placing a condition.
1: And it doesn't have to be answered in words or thoughts. You might just know what it means. And that's enough.
3: And you might think you don't know what it means, and you, <laughs> something has happened. Oh, this is so mysterious. A lot of times we think that we haven't received a teaching or a transmission of a deeper level of ourselves, like a part of ourselves talking to ourselves, and we say, oh, I just didn't get it. But that's just a thought, You see, all thoughts, oh, I got it, I understand it, or I didn't get it, equally the same. They have no significance to what's actually happening. They're after the fact. Most of our thoughts that precipitate are after the fact of our deluded experience.
6: I never asked it what it meant. I just left it in that magic place.
3: That's wonderful. (laughs)
1: Sometimes the meaning is just the delight, expression of love and compassion. You know, uh, on my spiritual path, a lot of things were funny. And I really began to realize, quote, God has a sense of humor. And that was was their purpose. You know what I mean? I think I wrote about this in my book. I once had a dream where I was going to be given a gift in three weeks or something. I've forgotten the, the time frame there. By then, I was taking my dreams very seriously. So I wrote down on the calendar the day three weeks from the day I had the dream, and I was waiting for something to happen, and nothing happened. And that night, I had a dream, and in the, the dream, it says, "When we say three weeks, we mean more or less, dummy." <laughs>
2: <laughs> and a day or two later,
1: I did something. Did uh, significant happen? <laughs> That was a message. I mean, it had a particular meaning, but it's also the delight in the way it happens is another meaning of meaning.
6: On the other hand, there's a sense that I could, I, the I that I think I am, could just as easily have been that woman Mm -hmm. and that It goes back and forth and it doesn't really
1: matter. What difference would it make? That's
2: my point. What
1: difference does it make if you suddenly found yourself in a totally different environment and had no idea how you got there with different people and all that? It makes absolutely no difference except all you need to do is to find out how to orientate yourself, like what are the customs and manners of these people and all that. But aside from that, in terms of our actions, what difference does it make? You practice love and compassion. In dream environment, in visionary environment, if you're taken up to the God realms, and you know, so what? You're still going to practice love, compassion, and you're going to search for truth. And that's all. So the environment is secondary.
3: And what's great about reading a good book, a good novel you can pick up, and... Actually, people talk about good books. This is another way we objectify things. But part of the experience of saying, what an incredible book, is that you were able to read it and completely lose yourself. And so your pure, open, crystal clear, infinite awareness completely can know this character that's being created. That is no different than looking at somebody else, than waking up every day with somebody, than going to work and seeing somebody. It's the same exact process going on. In awareness, there is arising this other life. Quote, unquote, that's an appearance. Okay, I don't have to grasp that thought. Yes, that's the way it's appearing. I know it's simply an appearance, like last night's dream. It's not that you're saying, oh, it's appearing, it's not there. Oh, yes, it's there. It exists because it's appearing. Those are two extremes. And we're like playing with being both and neither and right through the middle of them. Yes, things are appearing and I don't need to grasp them, nor do I need to push them away. Their very appearance is the perfection and their disappearance is the perfection.
1: Yes, but um
4: I'm not sure if this is a valuable question, but it just keeps occurring to me, so I'll try it. It's about language and and its relationship to what we might call reality. And I was thinking from some of the other stuff um, that was said earlier. Uh, For an example, I know Spanish, I know some Spanish, and in my waking life, The way that I usually do that second language is I kind of have a running interpreter inside my head that kind of converts what I want to say in English into the Spanish. But it's a whole different experience, oftentimes in my dreams. I can have dreams where I'm fluently thinking in and speaking in Spanish without any, you know, bridge. Mm -hmm. Uh, so what I'm wondering is from from the experience of YouTube is there a bridge of language kind of experience that you find you have to do since gnosis came along because I mean if you is there a clunkiness factor <laughs> when you're having to deal with questions like what Mary Song started off with and what Mike was doing in Chile and everybody is it is there something that's going on cognitively for you? Because I noticed, you know, Andrea once in a while saying, well, okay, let's just say, say it this way for now. Mm-hmm. Do you, you want to comment at all on that?
1: Well, enlightenment is before language. It is a knowing that makes knowing language possible or knowing anything possible. It is the knowing of knowing, if I can put it that way. And in itself, it is totally empty, nothing. That's why we uh, say we are, our secret is we are totally ignorant. We start from a place of total ignorance. This path does not lead to knowing more in terms of language. It leads to knowing less. Lao Tzu said, in in, uh, conventional pursuits, every day you learn more and more. When you follow the way, every day you learn less and less, until you know nothing at all. Ibn Arabi, the great Sufi, said, this path leads to bewilderment. Where's Mary's song? (laughs) Bewilderment, where the mind cannot go anymore. And sometimes that bewilderment is expressed as a mental frustration. It cannot be figured out. The mind gets confused, exhausted, and that's a very good thing. And sometimes it's best to keep pushing because it'll get to the point we'll have to let go. That's what a Zen Cohen is designed to do. Those, you know, Zen Cohen, those little paradoxical riddles that Zen masters give their students, like what's the sound of one hand clapping? They struggle with that and struggle with that. The mind cannot come up with a satisfactory solution to that. And when the, when the student gets very clever and comes up with some clever answer, he gets whacked.
2: <laughs>
1: so it's about jumping beyond English, Spanish, Chinese. Jumping out of the whole problem of translation. It's not a question of translating. Sometimes it is a question from a Gnostic's point of view, of finding the most skillful words that you can find, if it's a verbal teaching, in that moment, to point to something, not to teach you the truth, but, as Andrea keeps saying, point you back to your own experience. Is that helpful?
3: And sometimes what arises in awareness, um, as, as I'm speaking, is... Um, some sense of what the other person is hearing, and so that's when I the words might change a little bit. I mean that's just something I'm being aware of as since you asked
4: is, is there <clears throat> are you conscious of an effort an efforting when you're coming up with answers because you, in a way're you are acting as interpreters for us <clears throat> um, And I would imagine, if I were making my living as an interpreter, that after a while, it would get pretty automatic. But in the beginning, when I was learning it, there would be this effort.
3: The only learning, that's, again, what Joel is saying is that there's there's one learning that happens. And that learning is the essence or the true nature of all language or possible teaching or hearing or anything that appears in awareness. That's the only thing that's known. And so in that, what arises and dissolves are various more or less skillful ways of of expression, but that's not effort. That's revelation like everything else. So that's why I say sometimes there there appears to me a knowing, I, have a sense, I, I don't know what it is, but there's just a sense that, oh, maybe this word isn't working, try this. And that's something that... That seems to be developing. Like I feel that as as a teacher, I'm developing the more I play that part, because you just learn. You can feel when someone hears something, and you can feel when they don't.
1: You look at their face, and if they're going, you're on the right track. (laughs) If they're going. <laughs> you know, switch. It's not a big mystery. But a lot
3: <laughs> and sometimes you speak to make them be more confused. <laughs> yes, this is true.
1: Sometimes they're going. You say, "Oh, I'm on the right track," and you push. That that
4: thing of bewilderment is often accompanied by a thought that that goes, "This is hard." This is this what? This is not easy. This is hard.
1: Um, That's right. It's more often accompanied by a thought. I don't like this. This can't be where the spiritual path leads. I want to get out of here. How can I get my clarity back? This isn't really what Ibn Arabi meant. This feels weird. But that is what Ibn Arabi meant.
4: And it's much easier than 36 of us probably suspect at this time.
1: You know what? You see, here's the trouble. Not only is it much easier, the very fact that you would think that there would be the slightest problem is the problem. (laughs) (laughs) It's so easy that it isn't isn't even to say easy is too much. (laughs) And in my experience, anyway, don't worry. Because all of you are so wonderfully uh, different in your constructions of the world that I will never get automatic about responding. Each time it's totally unique. Now sometimes I know someone better and so there's a lot of water under the bridge. But there's never an exchange where it's just ho-hum.
3: Does he ever look cool? ho <laughs> And, and I just would like to add that this inquiry, this Janana inquiry of inquiring, what is the experience? What is really happening, really happening? Like we're playing with a whole orchestra or a full repertoire. Devotion is a way of inquiry. Meditation or relaxation or opening, becoming aware of the body in consciousness, having the body be in consciousness and experience the open changing aspect of that. Um, being aware with all your senses. All the ways we could be present all support each other in terms of seeing reality. Dr. Wolf was 95 years old and he had, he had a muscular body. He was outside, he was walking, he was experiencing His body was in awareness. He didn't fixate on just thinking and drop the body out of awareness. Every moment what was arising in awareness was embraced fully because nothing is compartmentalized. This is important. This isn't. There's the open, willing development of infinite ways of knowing
1: One, uh, yes, in the back.
0: Well, I was just wondering, is there a, is there a, a way that you can describe your feelings uh, or your experience of emptiness? <coughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> emptiness is not something separate from form, what arises. So it's not like over here is emptiness and here is form. And it's not like there are certain feelings associated with emptiness and then other feelings associated with form. You see, again, we're running to the problem of language. Our language distinguishes emptiness from form. But in truth, there is no distinction. And every feeling is a manifestation or expression of emptiness. So you could say all feelings are how I feel about emptiness. If I'm happy, I'm happy about emptiness. If I'm sad, I'm sad about emptiness. If I'm quiet, I'm quiet about emptiness. If I'm excited, I'm excited about emptiness. So this is a very good question. And it's not about looking for something that you don't already know, see, experience, taste, touch, smell. It's about just trying to realize the true nature of whatever's appearing. So it's like going back to that analogy of the gallery. You're walking around, you're seeing all these paintings. And this is true of many spiritual seekers. It certainly was true of me. Enlightenment or emptiness is thought of as, oh, another painting. So my problem is I can't see that painting called enlightenment. And you're going around looking, looking, and you're expecting, oh, I'm going to come across the painting called enlightenment. (laughs) But that's not what happens. You go around and around doing that until finally you give up. You say, well, gee... You know, there's never going to be a painting called Enlightenment. Ah, no, Now you're very close. <laughs> and then one day you see, oh, it's not another painting called Enlightenment. It's that all of this is painting. And then wherever you look, you see nothing but painting. Whatever form it's in. Whether it's a, you know, a wild Picasso with uh, faces all, you know, blending into one another or Jackson Pollock with just nothing but abstract paint smeared on the canvas, or some beautiful Rembrandt with those wonderful uh, tones, those dark tones and glinting <laughs> metal, you know. But the delight is, oh, it's painting. And painting is a good image because it has that positive, ultimate good quality. So if you're looking at a Goya, and Goya painted horrendous scenes from warfare, from the uh, war in Spain with, against the French, and people being executed and stuff like that. But he was a marvelous painter. You don't delight because you're seeing an execution, but you see, this is a genius at work here. It's a Goya, do you know? Or it might be something like uh, those Picasso line drawings of the uh, feasts and voluptuous women and centaurs, and they're drinking wine and stuff like that. A great painter could paint any subject matter in it and out oh, a great painting. So don't look for the perfect picture in the gallery. You're finally going to get to the masterpiece. Start looking around and see if you can't see that everything is a divine self-disclosure. If we want to use Sufi terms. Or Meister Eckhart, a great Christian mystic, said to the person who knows God, everything... The taste of God. God appears in whatever form is appearing. It's happening right now. You don't have to go anyplace. This is why Lao Tzu says, you can know the whole world without taking one step beyond your doorstep. And when you know what a stone is, at the ultimate level, you know what a star is. You know what a tree is. You know what a human being is. You know what everything is. <coughs> Not in the, in the realm of thought, but that immediate Oh, this is God. This is God. This is God. Oh, this is God, too. Oh, my gosh, I've been in a, a gallery of the most fabulous art all my life, and I haven't been paying any attention because I've been looking for that one great painting. And then you relax. And it's an endless gallery. You keep walking through new rooms, and there are more fabulous paintings. And another room, more fabulous paintings. There's no end to it. Is that helpful?
3: Yeah. And one of the ways that that can be a very fruitful experience is if you're happy to be there. There's that the sense of gratitude and trust that whatever is being revealed is exactly what you need in that moment can open, can open your capacity to be present for it. Open your awareness of it. Increase, infinitely increase the everything about your awareness because you're allowing yourself an open reception or being with it. And gratitude is very devotional in the sense that you trust the divine or the expression of your infinite being that is giving you this moment. And this moment and this moment, and I think that's why Thich Nhat Han is always reminding us to smile, which is simply a relaxation and appreciation for what's being revealed now, now and now, that it's all a gift, and sometimes that helps us to open our hearts, to rest in that place of full acceptance, because where there's full acceptance, there's full revelation.
0: I feel strange using words to um, describe this. I came here, and the just being here and the meditation and the breath brought me into such a state of just pure consciousness, and I had listened to the words coming from myself over there and saying, I'm so pleased to be that bright. <laughs> and I, I listened to the wisdom. And then the questions brought me into my head again. And I thought, I've got to grasp all of these answers and so that I can tell people what I believe, and <laughs> I believe in words. And then the realization came is, all this talking is just pulling me right out of consciousness (laughs) pretty funny isn't (laughs) it
1: but this is a wonderful lesson in how to listen to spiritual teachings there are two There are more than two kinds, but just for the sake of speaking now, we can divide them into two kinds. One is you do have to understand if it's an instruction for meditation. If you don't understand, you have to ask the question, say, well, now, what do do you really mean about focusing attention on the breath or whatever? There's another kind of teaching, though, that trying to understand interferes with really receiving the teaching. And it's just what you're describing. It's
0: understanding through words. Right.
1: Yes. You just be there and the teaching flows through. And you don't worry about if you remember the answers or you can, you know, define what you believe or whatever. It flows through. Those that are meaningful will stick. Maybe a little something, oh, will happen. If not, they they flow in. And you know what? You find you're speaking to someone. They say, what do you believe? You you just start speaking from your heart. And you've absorbed the language from listening and reading a lot. And the, the words will come. You don't have to remember any answers. They'll just start coming.
0: Well, that's the limitation I put on myself,
1: that I have to... Right. And, this, and look, Grace, but you see, all you have to do is, when you recognize it's happening, let go right at that moment, at that very moment. You're sitting there, and you find the mind trying to remember that answer. Just recognize it. Just the way we recognize, thought, distracted, do you know what I mean? Just, oh, forget it. Relax. Relax. Don't worry about it. Remembering it. That's how we become free. In the moment when we recognize this grasping or this pushing away or this identifying or this holding on, and this is what all the right meditation there. training is about, we r- learn to recognize in that particular moment, oh, right there. and then that's a little bit of waking up. You let it go and there's a little flash of that clarity coming through. This is what really deconditioning is about. It's not about getting rid of anything. It's about recognizing what's going on, this grasping or aversion to it, and being willing to fall back into ignorance. That kind of ignorance we talked about earlier total open ignorance. So often in in traditions, the analogy is to become like a child. If you're brought up in a Christian tradition, you've heard this you know, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you become like a little child. We think that's a Christian exclusively Christian teaching it isn't, it's found in all the traditions. The Tibetans have a marvelous description of you have to be like a child in a temple who's seeing all those marvelous uh, paintings and and the tankas, you know, the Tibetan temples are very colorful and they have demons and, and wrathful deities and benevolent deities and lots of primary colors. So the idea is like a child of wonder, not grasping at what is being experienced, just experiencing it all. And Lao Tzu says, you know, uh, can you make your mind blank like a child's? He doesn't mean that no thought is arising, but it's that child's sense of wonder. Yeah, you know? It's not a grasping. As they get older, they <laughs> learn to. <that. laughs>
3: and you also uh, quoted, quoted something about, it's like two people who go into a temple and see a golden cup. One of them sees the golden cup and recognizes its beauty and is just completely present with the beauty of it has no thoughts about it's simply present for it. The other one is thinking, "I've got to have this cup. this is the most beautiful cup. How can I secure this cup? How can I hold on to this cup and In that very process, the cup disappears in awareness, and there's only greed and expectation and what to do with it and all and the suffering and suffering and mm-hmm. so Part of the thing about listening to teachings, I was actually telling this to Tom last week, that I think of all my years of meditation, the most effective meditation for me was when I was listening to teachings. Because listening to teachings, there's a natural quality of letting everything arise in awareness and not grasping on and not pushing anything away and experiencing the continual flow in the current of awareness. Mm-hmm. And just letting it go, 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 and you're completely safe and embraced by the love of the universe. That's who your teacher is. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: what it is. <laughs> and I keep thinking I should have a more developed brain that can grasp all this. <laughs>
1: You have to just become a dummy like the rest of us.
2: <laughs>
1: Rumi said, sell your cleverness and buy simplicity. <laughs> One more.
5: Well, it's not a question, it's just a statement. I don't get here this
0: often, but when I do, it I'm just so full of appreciation be with people who do want to seek that simplicity because out in the world you feel kind of weird being the empty ignorant fool simple (laughs) dumb Mm -hmm. person and uh, so anyway i knew
6: the place to come and and be that more fully
1: Well, we're working on it (laughs) People ask you what we do here. You say, well, we're working on becoming dumb and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Empty. <laughs> Empty. and Ignorant. Fool for God. <laughs> All right, let's bring the formal part of the morning to a close. And you're welcome to stay and have some tea and share in some, I believe, birthday cake today. And celebrate our twin birthdays
3: and everybody please help yourself to these i really would appreciate it if you read it
1: (laughs) that's that's her birthday present to you if you want to give her a birthday present
3: (laughs) without grasping
1: (laughs) without understanding right (laughs) so until we see you again peace to you all